Alright, welcome you to Illuminate. This is Alan and today I have Jordan and Lana Lawler. Um, grew up with them. Um, they graduated a little bit before I did in high school. So we had those days of running together and then years gone by we would we would serve together um, at Kennedy Baptist and through different outlets all down to missions or whatever that music or whatever that looked like. So uh, it's good to have you all on today. How y'all doing? Doing good. Okay, glad to be here. Yeah, and so today that we're going to talk about this idea of adoption, and uh, that is something that uh, that y'all are currently working through, and uh, that's a blessing to me because, like, when someone says, and I know this might be kind of a hot topic for people, but when someone says, "I'm pro-life," okay, there are thousands of ways to show that rather than telling somebody that you are. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. the the best illustration is foster care and adoption if you are so able to do it because it, it is expensive it is um but that's the best way and it, it's to me it is one of the best illustrations um that you can show like with the gospel it is it is you know it's it's just like you said it's the most beautiful picture to me because and it's such a beautiful picture of the gospel it's so much there that is taking something that in someone's eyes, and I don't like using the word not wanted, but not capable to take care of. Mm-hmm. Because so many times, kids, it's not, people say you're taking in somebody that's not wanted. So many situations you see in adoption, they're wanted, but because of choices and because of situations they're not able to provide for. And that's the picture of it to me because as a lost person, I wasn't able to provide for myself. There was nothing I could do to change my situation, but right. somebody changed it. You know, and that's that picture of adoption to me. Um, you know, in, in Galatians, in, in the Bible, in Galatians chapter 4, it says this. It says, in verse 1, it says, Now I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but, uh, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, we were in bondage of the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, that's that time that God intervened. When God sent His Son, made of woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. He had to come to where we were, where we are, to do something for us we could not do. Then in verse 6 it says this, And because of your sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He sent a Spirit to us to cry back out to Him. And then in verse 7, it says, wherefore, art, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So we have the adoption in verse 5, and then we're an heir in verse 7. That means he came and uh, took, uh, to take care of us when we could not, nothing we could do for ourselves, and then gave us everything he had. Mm-hmm. So much more than just not wanted. That's mm-hmm. not it. It's, it's he came and did something we couldn't do, mm-hmm. and then gave us something we couldn't get. Mm-hmm. So, impossible completely yeah, impossible it is and it goes back to all the way to the garden it said depravity yeah it's it's the fall and I was you know last last episode that we had up I was telling Scott that uh, it didn't take me long to see that in my nephew I remember him being a year and a half old and I was like I see pride I see selfishness it's it's not hard and nobody had to teach him that you know it's, yeah. it, it comes natural yeah yeah and uh, that's like the illustration of it uh, to me is like and I'm rags yeah. I, I don't have any good about me and then yeah. that God would make this way yeah. like what you were saying like at the right time yeah 
boom, here it comes. Mm-hmm. Here Christ comes. You know, as soon as the fall happened there in the garden, as soon as God cried out and asked where they were, God already knew what had happened. But when he asked them, sin had already entered in and the fall had already happened. And the first thing he did was blame somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent. You know, that was... Mm-hmm. That's all it was. You know, it was just blame come in. I, I'm too prideful to admit that I did something wrong. It was her fault. And she was like, it's his fault. You know, so. <laughs> Nobody uh, else won't own up to anything. Yeah, we're, we're still that way today right. in so many situations. Yeah. And so, like, just with uh, with John Mark, what uh, what are his thoughts on it? Man, he, uh, John Mark's our uh, eight-year-old little boy. He's excited, you know. Um, there's some things, I mean, he, he, the weight has been so hard on him. I mean, think back when he was eight years old, the, the time frame between Thanksgiving break in school and Christmas, that was like eight years. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. And now it's like, man, it's, it's April. What happened? You know, I right. mean, and then now you're, you're together, together with your family and stuff at Thanksgiving. The next thing you know, it's middle of the spring and you're like, what, what happened? So for an eight-year-old, the weight that has been and learning the patience of it has been very difficult. You know, so many times he said, you know, when are we going to get the child? When, are, when am I going to have a brother? When am I going to have a sister? How is this going to work, you know? And then at the same time, explaining adoption to an eight-year-old <laughs> is a little bit difficult. Because when we first told him about it, it's crazy because... Lana's kind of got the timeline here. You know, we first felt called after about five and a half years of not being able to have another child. We first felt called in July of 2017. We didn't act on that until February 2nd of 2019. So going on two years there, we had this two-year-long, like, slow ride, um, you know, like rolling hill roller coaster of emotions Mm -hmm. of should we do this? If we do this, how are we going to afford it? What are we going to do? How is this going to affect our ministry? How all these different emotions and questions that we needed to go through to get to that point. And then part of that was running from the call of it, worry and fear and everything else. Oh, yeah. But when we told John Mark, like we were sitting at this table right here where we're sitting right now in our dining room, he was sitting in that chair and when we told him, he went through that same two years in like three minutes. Like, but you squeeze all them little heels down, it was like excited, crying, scared to death, back excited. And like before it was over with, he was hoping it was twins. And he was like, I'm going to sit on the bed with arms around both of them. We can watch the iPad and watch Disney Junior or whatever together, you know. So it was like this. He had it figured out. He had it all done, you know. But the patience (laughs) has been uh, Mm -hmm. a trial, I guess. And just the the weight and explaining everything, how it's working to him. Because some of the the steps you got to go through are crazy to me. So I know they're crazy to him. Yeah. There have been so many, you know, just teachable moments through this process for him though. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen times that it's grown his faith, you know, and um, and there's been some things that he said, like the process we have to, like before we were chosen by a birth mama, we would present like our case study to, or our home study to a birth mom, and then she would choose, you mm-hmm. know, your family if she wanted you to be the adoptive parents. Well, we went through that, um, you know, I think it was the first one that we had gotten a no. And you know, when you get told no, it's hard to accept rejection mm-hmm. and you kind of look at it that way. but. We were on our way to school, and um, John Mark said, uh, I had told him that we weren't chosen yet, and he said, um, well, you know, he said, the family that she chose, I bet they've been waiting longer than we have. And I was like, you know, buddy, you're probably right. And it was just neat to see, you know, his little heart just mm-hmm. thinking it through, and, you know, I just see how God's growing him through this process just as yeah. he's grown us, too. So that's been neat to watch. Yeah. And 
just to um, I was thinking about practical and application just uh, financially or whatever that looks like maybe you're not specifically called to foster or adopt some very uh, easy applications that you can do there's a little girl's home right outside of Winfield mm-hmm. um, man ain't nothing like taking the girls of a happy meal yeah. and just being with them being yeah. a big brother or a big sister yeah um, there's a lot of opportunities uh, just all throughout this area. I think a lot of times, uh, when I was living down in Mobile, it seemed like um, ministry for children it was something that was easy to find. Mm-hmm. You had things like Lila Village or after school specials, or right. you had different ways to interact with kids and to share the gospel with them. And also, um, if they don't have the best home mm-hmm. that they're growing up with, you could be somebody they look forward to right. seeing. Right. Um, that may be a good example and would possibly hopefully lead them to faith one day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know like I just that's one thing about doing this is I just want to be real practical with people and like today this is this is about our own salvation this right. passage and what it means to be uh, coming out of I think yours said servant um, right. my, my text says you know it's a little hastier it says slave yeah um, and translates directly yeah. to slave yeah and so mm-hmm. that, and that's what we were enslaved to our sins and then then came the day then came Christ mm-hmm. and the fulfillment of uh, the law of everything mm-hmm. that was over us made it possible for us to have salvation but practically that what that looks like it is uh, being a part of foster care being a part of the adoption processes you can also always pray for those mm-hmm. those yes, people and that's the best thing that you can do right to show it with you and your family is right Find a way to serve. You know, and, you know, for people out there that may be listening to this, that think, you know, what what could I do to help somebody? What could I do to help? You know, I, I know of this family that's fostering a child. What could I do? Anything. Get them a Christmas present. Anything yeah. that you could possibly, anything that crosses <laughs> your mind. Because this is what I know and from our situation, talking to mutual acquaintances that we got that, that foster and, and different things that go through these situations. People that adopt that, and people that foster are some of the most, and I'm not saying this, I never say anything to stick a feather in my own hat because I know who I am and we can get to that or whatever, but uh, they're very humble people because they're going out of their way to do that. They're not going to get offended by you bringing something by and think, well, they, that person thinks I can't ter- take care of this child, so they brought me this. Now, they're going to open their... Uh, they're going to open their arms, open their home, and say, hey, thank you so much. Anything, like you said, you know, drop supper by one night. Go back to McDonald's if you know they fostering three kids and pick up three Happy Meals. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I just brought the kids some Happy Meals. Or you know it's around Christmas time, and you think, you know, I'm just going to get one more present for them. It don't matter. And you think, well, I don't know what the kids like. It don't matter if it's little kids. They'll play with the box. They're going to love it, you know. Right. So many times people think, well, I just don't know what I can do to help. Anything. It don't matter what it is. Anything can help. Anything is that emotional boost for that child or for that parent or, or whatever. Anything helps. Yeah. And and since this whole pandemic deal and like we're we're not able to meet and come together as mm-hmm. we usually should. Some just out of fear, you know, yeah. for I don't want to be a carrier and give it to somebody else or right. vice versa. Um but when everything picks back up. Oh yeah. <laughs> Man, like, we can get busy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We can get so much ministry can be done. So much help can be given. But, yeah, man, uh, you 
you mentioned your story. Um, you want to go into that a little bit? Yeah, we can. Cool. Yeah. That's like mine kind of relates with yours a bit. Yeah. Kind of same backing. And yeah. I even reference, uh, I started writing it in all my Bibles that I give to teenagers and the ones that I carry is that uh, what's your grandpa used to write in the front of, you know, the oh, flyleaves yeah. of all his Bibles. Yeah, it's about books about Jesus Christ and nothing else. Yeah, that's it. It's in the front of every one of my Bibles. And uh, this one, it's it's right there. It says, uh, right in the, in the beginning, it says, this book is about Jesus Christ and nothing else. And when my granddad told me that, it changed the way I looked at the Bible, you know, from in the beginning. God, it's about Jesus Christ. It's the story being told. But, you know, a little bit about me, you know, I, I hope to be part of more of these podcasts and stuff so you have an idea about where I'm from. I was raised in church. My mom played the piano all the way through life in church. But when I got to my teenage years, I turned my back completely on God and wanted to do my own thing and chase worldly pleasures and everything else. And, and that's where me and Alan first met. You know, cross paths is rule. West Alabama, everybody knows everybody and what everybody's doing, you know, and, and um, you know, so much through that, um, I regret so many things, but at the same time, God was working through that, you know, and so much a picture of grace that God gave time for me to come back to where he needed me to be, and then me and Lana started dating in uh, junior year of high school, we graduated together in 04, oh, we graduated in 05, started dating in 04, and um, that started to turn back, and um, she helped me a lot through that, and then uh, came back to where God was. I was saved at a young age, at seven years old, eight years old, right after I turned eight. And um, I was saved, and I knew I was saved, but I had just backslid on God. This term don't get used a lot anymore, but I backslid and was walking away from God, turned my back to Him, um, but he, he brought me back. And uh, shortly after we had got married, and, started God called us into ministry and I was youth pastor at Kennedy Baptist for five years and uh, why you know it's one of one of them things like I don't even know how much this has even been publicly said but I was preaching around some different places and uh, Crystal Foster mm -hmm. called me she was on the search committee and like I didn't call back like I need I, at some point in time I need to call her and apologize because I didn't call back yeah and um, so, like, I figured at some point she probably thought, like, maybe he didn't get my message because, like, cell phone, so we saw him a while ago. Yeah. And um, so she called back again. And I was at my granddad's house, same person writes in the Bible, you know. He's like, you ought to call him back. I was like, I need to be no youth pastor. They don't want me, you know. Mm -hmm. But I went, and, like, five minutes into the interview, I knew that's where we were going. Yeah. yeah I knew that's what God had for us. Then I was there for five years, and God led us to step down. And, you know, when, you, when somebody hears that you're stepping down at a church there, they all make them think something's wrong. Yeah. But wasn't really nothing wrong. I mean, we stayed there. We still served there. Went on mission trips. Worked in Bible school. And I started preaching some other places. And, you know, for five years later, I was like, I'll never pastor. That ain't what I'll be doing. Mm -hmm. That's not what God's calling me to do. You know, so then this church, you know, a couple of different churches, you know, I go preach somewhere and I was filling in places that didn't have a pastor. And so they would ask, you know, are you interested? No, no, no. But then here at Ethersville, they wanted to, wanted us to come and interview you know and this is the crazy part of it like I didn't didn't know in that interview and there was a church in Fayette that was wanting us to come and interview with them and we drove to South Carolina Atlanta sister and I were living in uh, Lancaster South Carolina we were on the way back we were just on the Tuscaloosa side of the coaling exit and it was flat rocking I'm talking about <laughs> raining straight down uh -huh. and they I don't know anybody's listening to this that don't know where that's at but most people do they've been doing road work right there since I was in high school yeah 
And they're still doing road work there right now, I guarantee yeah, you. I'm hoping to see it finished by maybe before I die. Yeah, that's it. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what they're doing to that piece of road, but one one time you go through there, you're in the right lane, and they're replacing the left, and the next time you go through there, you're in the left, and they're replacing the right. I don't really know what's happening. Yeah. But we were coming through there, and it was raining, and my phone rang. And I had no idea where we were going. God hadn't led in either direction. The phone rang, and it was a church in Fed. Yeah. In between the time the phone started ringing, and I answered it. I knew we were coming to Athensville. So I answered the phone, and he asked me about coming, and I said, you know, that's, that's not where God's got for us to be. And he's like, well, I understand. I appreciate it. You know, if anything changes, let me know. And I hung the phone up, and then I knew we were coming here. Mm-hmm. You know, so then God places us here at Athensville, and we've been here be five, years, be in five years in November. You know, so, you know, it's just kind of like short life history, I guess, but so much of where things really started and how I related to youth. And even when I say, you know, I know who I am, you know, because of that period of time in my life and I still know I fight some of them same battles, you know, that um, I don't ever think I'm better than nobody by any means. And sadly, a lot of people, I mean, I'm just honest, a lot of people in ministry do, but that ain't the way to look at it. Yeah. I, um, I mean, similar story, like you said, man, um, you and I, it wasn't uncommon for us to be at the same place. Right, yeah. Doing the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had a salvation experience. Like it would be somewhat to a, a backslide. And then when I got down to Mobile, I, I realized, uh, it was about a year before I moved down there, um, I had done a rededication, but it wasn't a rededication. Right. It was true salvation. Right, right. It was a, a true... Change. 180 yeah. change yeah. and um, it was those same things and I remember even while I was gone and coming back and just some of the kids uh, you know we grew up with or some of the kids I even coached when we were coaching baseball yeah, yeah. We, I would run into them and now their college and career and they was like man God saved you yeah <laughs> yeah that face and uh, that yeah face. and they was like he really can do anything yeah Man, just just the other day, Lana came in contact with somebody who was in school with. Might have been in your grade. I'm not sure. I'm not going to throw a name out there. I will after a while. But um, come in contact with somebody we were in school with, and they didn't know that I preached here. Well, it was when this virus pandemic stuff first started. And that first week, kids were out of school here. Like, the county schools weren't doing any meals. Mm -hmm. So we've got a few bus drivers at the church. So, like, we went and got sandwich stuff and hot dogs and chicken fries and all that stuff. And like we were fixing bag lunches and they were like running their bus route in their vehicle taking bag lunches to their kids, you know. Perfect. So just helping them out. So she comes across a girl that we were in school with that's got kids who ride the bus. I didn't know she was living around here. Uh-huh. Well, it's not too far from here. So she comes across and like Lana's Lana says, you know, Jordan, I, I, Jordan pastors at Ethisville and you know that it's like the it's like the, the Chihuahua at the high pitch sound, the head goes sideways and you're mm. kinda like, Huh? Run that really? by me one more time. <laughs> one more time. Really? <laughs> Jordan, like, Jordan Lott, like, graduated 05 South Lamar. He's pastoring in church. Yeah. Wow. And it's almost like you see him. It's like, God can do anything like you're talking about. It's just, yeah. It catches him so yeah. off guard. Yeah. But it's but that's that's a testimony. Yeah, that's the power of it. I, like, I, if I could, you know, I would uh, I would have tried to do a lot better. Like, yeah. If I could go back, I would have been, Oh yeah. I guess I would have shot Change straight. Change anything. Yeah. yeah. But uh, that's just the power of it, you know. It is. It is. It's like I, I can't go back, and I don't want to. No. 
and just things that have happened like since my testimony of like the salvation experience and people remembering how rough I used to be mm-hmm. up to now yeah well some of the things that's happened um, over the years and like just plans changing yeah and uh, God still using me and yeah. God uh, he's still that's very thing, active man. in my life regardless of yeah such that picture of grace man I mean just like we was talking about with the adoption you know it's just such that picture of God saying you know yeah you've done these things wrong yeah that and it's we even talked about in our sermon this morning at church it's not that license to sin but there is forgiveness of sin you know and like you was talking about if I could go back and change it absolutely I'd change it but I can't (laughs) and at times you think, you know, I would love to change that. I would love not to ever have to think about that again. But then you cross paths with that person that's going through the same stuff. And they think God can't help them. And then you're like, wait a minute. L- let me tell you, God can help you. You say, how do you know? Because he helped me. Yeah. You know, how how, how do, can you minister to somebody if, if you hadn't gone through it? You know, I don't care if it's a song, if it's a sermon, if it's a passage. You can't use it to minister to somebody until it ministers to you. And to me, you can't. And when you start talking about you come across someone that's that's gone through a situation, you know, I was talking with somebody a while back that had lost a teenage child, and it was I, the first thing I had to say is, "Look, I'm not gonna act like I know how you feel because mm-hmm. I don't." You know, but there's there's people that have, and there's people that's gone through this, and God can help. But then you come across somebody that's gone through something you've gone through, and God brings that up inside you, and you realize that God knew you went through that and he had this point in time set for you to talk to this person because you've been through it, you know. Mm-hmm. By design, it almost seems perfect yep. at that moment. Seems like divine divine yep. inspiration there, divine design, I guess. Yeah. It's like, well, thank you for all them bottles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, if I could have got at them a lot quicker, I would have. Yeah. I think I would have. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of them things, that hindsight. You know, if I knew if I knew then what I know now, right. you know, but I didn't, so I don't. You know. Well, um, you know, just talking about the adoption stuff. Um, Romans eight, um, start in verse thirteen for con- or verse twelve for context is therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you lived after the flesh, you shall die. But if you live through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And that word adoption right there, it, it, it means exactly what we think it about it meaning is it's the placing of a son that placing of the son the process that we're in right now we we have been matched with a child um, we've actually got some court proceedings going on right now and we're waiting on what the courts call placement and it is a child being placed with us and that word right there is that exact same that's where they get that process from that placement it's when God reached out and placed us with Him. You know, it's that reaching out, and it says we have saved the spirit of adoption, the spirit of being placed with God, and then it says whereby we cry out a Father. The only reason we can cry out to a Father is because He became our Father. He chose to be our Father. That's, you know, what me and Lana are doing right now. We're choosing to parent a child that is biologically not ours. Right. And that child has no way of choosing us, but we're choosing to, to whoever God has for us, the placing for us to be a father and a mother to. 
to, to parent. And that's what God did for us. That We had no way of, of coming to God unless He came to us. You know, the Bible says very clearly, except the Spirit draw, except that God reaches out to us. We don't know what to do. We don't know who to cry out to. You know, we, we have that and He reaches out to us. And then that word placement, that being placed with, you know. You know, me just as, a, as an eight-year-old boy, you know, God reached down. I can't tell you what the preacher preached that night. I've asked the preacher. He don't remember exactly. Um, but all I heard that night as a, as a hyperactive, bouncing off the wall, little eight-year-old, but everybody says that I was, something got a hold of me that night and told me I was without God, that I did not have that heaven father. I, like I said, I've been raised in church my whole life. I could, I could tell you the books of the Bible. I could quote John 3, 16. I, could all, I knew about God. But I didn't know God, you know, and it's the same things. And, and like you was talking about with your salvation experience, and then I saw John Mark's salvation experience just a little over a year ago now, or about a year and a half ago now. And, you know, weeks leading up to when he uh, got saved that Sunday morning, he would ask some questions here, there, and I'm thinking, boy, something's churning in his mind. Mm -hmm. But literally just a couple of nights before, he said that he knew he was saved. He knew he was saved. He said, I know who Jesus is. I believe him. I believe the Bible. I know that. But that Sunday morning, a switch flipped in him, and he realized, wait a minute now. I don't. I don't know him. I know about him, yeah. but I don't know him. And then you take you take Lana's salvation experience. I'm going to put her on the spot and get her to talk about that. But um, you know how all of us have that time where God reached down and placed us. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, that divine appointment that he knew was coming. But like Lana's uh, experience, similar to yours, you know, thought she saved early on, but then God showed her something different. So if you want to go with that. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty much raised in church, you know, here and there and um, had a good foundation of, you know, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I could quote scripture and that kind of thing. And um, actually at a Bible school when I was 10 years old is when I kind of made a profession of faith, but didn't really understand exactly what that was all about. And um, but anyway, time passed and um, I always, you know, doubted my salvation. I was always just kind of back and forth like, you know, well, what if, I, what if I'm not saved, you know? And, and it, like peace would come and it would go. And yeah. it would just, it was never, you know, a constant peace of mind with it. So anyway, time passed and um, we got married and was called to ministry. And it was um, during our time serving at Kennedy um, was when actually um, I was saved and it was during a revival and the week I guess the week prior to the revival I was just really dealing heavily with it just you know just constant turmoil is really the best way to describe it it was misery um, you know I would talk to Jordan but I mean I really wasn't anything he could say I knew all the answers I mean I knew you know how to be saved and I would go to the Bible and I would be like well like, I would see scriptures, you know, like, if you love the brethren, then, you know, you're a child of God. If you know, And I was like, well, I do. And I was, you know, saying all these reasons why I was saved. Um, but then it was one of the nights of the, I guess it was the weekend before the revival started, actually. Um, God used Matthew 7. Um, let me turn there. I think it's Matthew 7, 40-something or 14. Hang on just a second. What's it say? Yeah, okay, Matthew 7, um, 21. 
it says, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name hast, have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Scariest passage in the Bible just about it. It, it is. is. And like and God used that to really bring to light that I was lost. And because I was doing what these people were doing, I was saying, Lord, I you know, my husband is a youth pastor. Um, I have sang many specials, I sing in the choir, I've taught Sunday school, you know, I've claimed to be a Christian all this time and it was just this fear came over me like that's great. But you're lost. And that's what Jesus spoke to me. And he used that scripture to show me that. And um, the night, um, the first night of the revival, like I was under conviction, but I was still hanging on to all the reasons that I thought I was okay. And um, the next night I had nursery duty. So I was in the nursery with Miss Andrea. Saved. <laughs> right? Saved and by then, the children. Um, so the next night, um, Brother Sid Nichols was the evangelist. And he passed out these little... Right yellow RSVP cards which is right there in that frame and um, I knew he was preaching on heaven and I like the Lord began to just like she was in she was under conviction me. when they passed the cards oh yeah at the door I mean that's absolutely but you know it was all these things like pride of course got in the way because oh, I was yeah. like you know because in the back of my mind I was thinking okay God showed me that I'm lost but if I come forward and I say that I've been lost this whole time I was like what are people going to think? Like, they're going to think that I've just been this fake, this phony, you know, just following Jordan around, like, just pretending everything's okay. And that's partly true. Like, I would pretend that things were okay. But I really, all those years, like, I thought that I was saved, you know. But it took the Holy Spirit to reveal to me that, you know, you've got the religion part down. You've got all the right answers and you're doing the right things, but you right. don't have that relationship and, um, and so that's what, you know, that night he spoke on heaven and, you know, I wasn't sure that my place was guaranteed there and God used that message to convict me and after service. And even then, like, I just held on as long as I could. And I, um, even during the invitation, I was just like, oh, but God, but God, but God. And um, so after the service, I told Jordan, or actually he looked at me and was like, what is wrong with you? I was like, I've got to go to Brother Keith's office. We got to talk. And so we went and talked about it, and I just, I was like, I'm lost. Like, there's just no, I can't It was like the it weirdest anymore. conversation. Yeah. It's like she said she needed to go talk about something, then we sat there, and Brother Keith's like, what's wrong? He's like, I was like, I'm lost. <laughs> just, so like, just blindsided Brother Keith with it, you know? And he's like, well, I thought we had something we had to figure out. Let's go back out here and fix this, you know? <laughs> So, yeah. yeah. So you know, I'm thankful for God and His um, His grace and His mercy because there's so many times you know I think about you know all the times that something could happen maybe between then and the time I was saved you know and I'd have busted hell wide open not knowing that anything was wrong but God has Thought to show you were great. exactly yeah. you know God has to show you your spiritual condition and I you know I use that testimony now to. Not to scare people, but to say, you know, one thing that ha is definitely different. I mean, yeah, I'm still singing in the choir. I'm still singing specials. I'm still a, the wife of a minister. Um, but the big difference is that I have peace that I never had before. Like, I know without a shadow of a doubt that the Lord saved me that night. And I haven't questioned it since. Um, my life is not perfect. I'm not perfect. I still struggle and make mistakes and, mm -hmm. you know... Um, 
my life is not 100% on task where it needs to be with the Lord every day. But, you know, at the same time, I know that my eternity is sealed. And that's the difference is that I have that peace and I have that relationship with Christ, you know, every single day. And so I remember uh, that revival. And I, I remember the the power of that. Oh, yes. And my whole thing was when you came out, you know, next day, again, I think it was the next service, yes. you gave your testimony. You, your testimony. You, uh, you got saved after the service that night. So not a lot of people knew. No. Right. Only, there was only a few I think I might have been one of the ones that was kind of hanging yeah, around. Yeah, Scott around, yeah. was still there, and then Brother Keith. Of course. And um, Brother Sid Nichols, and there was a couple people hanging around here. Yeah. There, you know. was Rachel there had back. John Mark, because John yeah. Mark was a baby. Rachel Haynes was, was, was in the nursery with John Mark. That was yeah. like, that was 2012. Yeah. yeah. And so I remember the next day, and you stood up to give your testimony, and like, that was my thing. Like, when I started putting everything together of what was happening, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> this is powerful. Yeah. Because I was like, this is the story of so many people who fill up a church pew. Yeah. Yes. It's like they think they're okay. Yeah. Yes. And the only thing keeping them when they get that little bit of conviction is like, you're not okay, buddy. Yeah. Is what's uh what's my husband or wife or my mom or right. or my daughter or mm-hmm. what are they gonna think? Right. Yeah. I've been living a lie. No, you you haven't. You haven't. Right. Like you just haven't had that yeah. salvation that's moment. The thing, man. Yeah. I mean we started out talking about like Adam's pride. <laughs> You know, and how it related to the adoption stuff and everything. But, like, that next night, you know, her whole thing was, what are people going to think? What are people going to think? What are people going to think? Mm-hmm. Well, then the next night, she gets up and gives her testimony. And if I'm not mistaken, somebody got saved that night because yeah. of the yeah, testimony. Yeah. yeah. It was a, it was and a, uh, Yeah, it was two. Mm-hmm. Two youth got saved uh, because of that testimony from that night. You know, they came and, and realized that they were lost. That the kids that had been in church a lot of their life, a lot of the same situation. So, so many times those things that we think are, are keeping us, like, pulled back of why we should do it, why we shouldn't do it is exactly why we should do it, you know. And, like, relating to the adoption stuff. I know when people think, the first thing people think when they hear adoption is like, wow, that's so expensive. It is expensive, mm-hmm. you know, but... Like how I come to terms with the cost of it, I was talking to a, a, a pastor friend of mine that's an evangelist, and like, man, he puts like 75,000 miles on a vehicle a year, just traveling, preaching, and he pastors a church too. And uh, he just bought a brand new, like Denali, Yukon Denali or whatever, mm-hmm. like $85,000 vehicle. And he's frustrated with it because it's having issues. And so like he's sharing the story with me. He don't know that I'm frustrated because of the cost of adoption. And I'm like, man, he just spent eighty five grand on a vehicle and frustrated with it. And here I am, and at the time we were looking at like thirty five, forty thousand dollars. And I'm sitting here thinking, how how are we gonna swing this? He's frustrated that a vehicle's gonna be torn music. We're talking about a child's life, man. Right. We're it's an eternal investment. Yeah. You can't put a price on it. I mean, if you, one man said, Well, just break that price down by the day that you get to spend with a child, and then it's not that expensive. You know, he's talking about mm-hmm. talking about eighteen years. You break it down by the day of eighteen years, how much of a payment are you making to invest in a child's life, to love a child, to lead a child in the way that God would have them to be, to raise a child biblically. Um you know those things so you just gotta throw the price out the window man and just know I mean we we're not rich I pastor a rural Alabama church and Atlanta's a school teacher and I've picked up teaching school too I'm actually teaching chemistry now 11th grade nice <laughs> and I teach 10th grade Bible and 11th grade chemistry so um, at, at, a, at a private Christian academy so the paycheck there ain't, ain't swinging it you know right. so um, so I mean we didn't have money put back for this but every time we've had a need 
It's been there. It's been amazing how God has provided. Like that was probably the biggest obstacle. Like yeah, when we were first, no you know, we first felt led to adopt. We were first like, I mean, there's absolutely no way we can do this. There's no way, and we put it off and put it off and put it off. And you know, like he said at the beginning, it's one of those things. Like you know, we kind of ran from it. But we're also trying to figure it out, too. You know, like, we knew that this, this was a big thing. If we were going to commit to this, we really needed to know that it was the Lord calling us to do this and not just emotions, not just, you know, that it was for real the calling of God. And, you know, it was one of those things we could not get away from it. So we knew that it was Him. And when we took that first step to make that phone call um, to the agency, it was like a weight oh, was just like lifted. peace after that. And, you know, just to see how God has provided. He's used people and... You know, it's amazing how he has used his people to provide, and he's, um, you know, just provided Jordan with the extra income, oh, yeah. and just things have fallen into place, and so it's just that reassurance that we're doing what he's asked us to I do. I mean, it's one of them cliche things, but we've literally had people, church members, different people walk up and hand us a check and be like, I don't know what this is for. Just take it. But here. And like one time it was, I was like $236 or something. Really, really. It was like, <laughs> I don't know why, but does the number 236 mean anything to you? And I was like, well, I mailed off a check this week for twice, exactly twice that amount. She said, well, here's one of them. And like she asked me this number while having the made out signed check in her pocket. Mm -hmm. Don't have a clue. So I had sent out, it was like 217, 236 or something. It was like for medical stuff, medical tests that we had to have run to say that we were healthy or whatever. And insurance wouldn't cover them because they were for adoption or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um and it was like for paying for one of ours. She's already got this check made in her pocket. She didn't just come up with this figure. You know, God just like gave her a number. So she wrote a check and said, here, here you go. So, yeah. you know, and then when we relate those things to the biblical adoption, what did our adoption cost God? Everything. Everything. Yeah. I mean, for God so loved the world, John three sixteen, most well-known verse in the Bible. So God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What did it cost him? It cost him his own son mm-hmm. for me to be to come in. And yes, God knew his son wasn't going to stay dead. And yes, all that. But you still had that moment with Christ on the cross. I go back to the garden. Yeah. When I mean, he was... I He's mean, crying out Luke, for help. Luke says that, you know, he was he was so intense that he was sweating blood. Yeah. And he was asking God if there's any other yeah. way. He didn't want to do it. No. There's no. <laughs> no way he wanted to do it. He's going to do it. But there's yeah. no, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it's so hard. It's so hard for somebody that doesn't have kids. Um, you know, I don't mean it in a bad way, but doesn't have that kid figure in your life, whether it's like kids you coached in ball or whatever that you just related to. It's so hard to grasp that concept. But like the day after John Mark was born, I had a good friend of mine, Ricky Wright. I was standing, John Mark was in the NICU for a few days and I was standing outside the NICU, um, the like neonatal intensive care unit, you know. Mm-hmm. I was standing there like, and they kept the blinds closed a bunch, but where John Mark was, I could like see between the windows and the blinds and I could only see him, you know. So I was standing there, and like Ricky comes up behind me and throws his arm around, and he's like, it's amazing. And I was like, yeah, it is. He said, it's amazing. Somebody you didn't know yesterday, you'd step in front of a bus for today. Yeah. And, man, that hits home because, like, you, you start thinking about what God did for us, and you start thinking about that, that God the Father is listening to his son in the garden cry out for help so strainingly bad that he sweats blood and he knows that the cross is coming. He knows crucifixion is coming. He knows he's fixing to the be arrested. The be Every, He knows it's coming, but he don't come and help him. Why don't he come and help him? Because I needed him not to. If he would have called him out of there, if he wouldn't have let it happen, I have no salvation. I have no way to be adopted because those verses back in Galatians says, I'm adopted through 
Jesus. He had to go through that. He let his son go through all that. It cost him everything, cost him his life, so that I could come in. What's a few thousand dollars? You know, it's it's pretty cheap. Yeah. You know, we're, we're starting we're starting to realize we're getting a bargain right here. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's you know, adoption is such a beautiful thing and so great. You know, and you know, this is like, like I feel like it's gonna be like a shameless plug, but maybe somebody's listening like they don't know how to adopt or, or what to do. Is it a dart to throw some stuff like some info go out for there? It, go for it. You know, I mean, there's so many different ways to adopt. You can go through like DHR stuff or whatever your state may call it. You know, to where like human resources stuff where they have some kids, they have foster training to foster kids, which is different from adopting to a certain point, but it's still a lot of the same things and struggles there. And that can be a lot more cost effective. It just didn't fit. It wasn't what, what we were called to do. So we're going through private adoption and um, domestic private adoption. You've got international private adoption. Um, we're going through domestic. We're actually going through a, a consultant, which is mustard seed consultant, adoption consultants um, out of Atlanta, Georgia. And what they do is they take all our information and distribute it to adoption agencies all over the country. And great people to work with, Christian-based organization. They're very selective, the people that they are. Like, you've got to talk to them before they decide that you, can, you can't just sign a contract and pay your money. You've got to be wanting to raise a child right. It's got to be the right things because all systems get abused by people. We do. Yeah. Um, so that's a great thing. Um, or you can contact me. I'd love to talk about it. I'd love to help you with it. I'd love to do anything I can. If you feel led to foster or adopt, you know, get in contact with me. You can find me pretty easy. Um, but, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful picture. And, you know, not everybody's called to do it. But we're all called to help each other. We're all called to exhort, to build each other up uh, biblically. But if you feel that call and need more information on it, I'd love to talk to you. You can find it. Don't think it's something you can't do because of money or because of situation. Because if God called you to do it, those situations are going to change and the money's going to come. It'll be there. Um, I've seen it. I see it every day. It's going to happen. I mean, even when we're picking up this other job at at the Christian school, you know, I was going down the road praying about what to do. I was thinking about driving a school bus, doing all these things. And God just says, you know, I wonder if that school might be needing somebody. Text uh, a friend of mine, that, that uh, a local pastor around here that worked there. He's like, I don't know. Just call over there. I made the phone call. She's like, yeah, I'm going to have something. Like A week later, she calls me back and offers me two different positions. You know, <laughs> What do you want to do or do you want to do both of them, you know? So I had no idea what I was going to do, and then God just laid it there, and it's been the perfect fit for me. You know, it's it's flexible because I do pastor church. If my phone rings and I need to go, I just go. You know, it's no no big thing. So God will provide. If God leads you to it, He's going to provide in it. So and the first ten steps is always the hardest. Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you're going to spend. Uh, it's with any kind of ministry or any kind of big call I've ever felt in my own life. It always felt like I ran for at least three months oh, yeah. mm-hmm. for coming to terms. And it wasn't like, it's like you're saying, it's like, I'm running because I'm scared, but I'm also running while trying to figure this out. It it's out. like, this is too big for me, man. Yeah. And I, man, I That's think exactly sometimes, I, I think sometimes people think that that, and there are some people tell you this too. You have people tell you, well, that was just a lack of your faith. No, not really. Mm-mm. Because like when I, I knew, like I knew I was called to preach. I knew I was called to ministry. But I'm still trying to figure out what exactly that is. You know, it's like you know it, but do you know it kind of thing. And I went to five different men. Good godly men went to five different men. Four of which were preachers, one of which was not. All five of them told me the same thing. Well, let me back up. 
One of them wouldn't say nothing to me about it. He changed his subject. Yeah. He did that. In him doing that, he was telling me the same thing as the other ones did. But I went to four preachers, and all of them told me the same thing. you think they would be patting me on the back saying, that's great, come preach for me Sunday, whatever. No, all of them looked me square in the eye and said, if you can do anything else, you do that. And at the time, I thought, that is the worst advice I've ever gotten in my life. But I look back now, and if I had somebody, if I had a young man walk up to me right now, a young lady walk up to me right now, and said, God's calling me to ministry, God's calling me to missions, God's calling me to preach, whatever it is, if they walked up to me right now, I'd look at them and I'd say, if you can do anything else, do that. Because if God's really calling you to missions or ministry exactly. or to adopt, you're, you're not, not going to be able to do anything else. Getting away from it. You're not, and like, that's what we were doing through this time of, of running from it, trying to figure it out. I mean, Lana's got on this kind of timeline thing, you know, two years later after feeling called to it. We did it two years later because we tried. I mean, we weren't able to have a, tri- a child uh, biologically again for whatever reason. So we tried harder at that, that, tried to do this, tried to do that. None of those things were working. And every time God brought us back that he's calling us to adopt, that he's calling us to adopt, calling us to adopt. And like Lana said, once we committed to do that, we made a phone call to set up a phone call. It wasn't even the conversation with the agency um, or with a consultant. It was the phone call to set up the phone call. And then we get a piece about it. And we've known it ever since. Yeah. So it's like them, you're pushing so hard and then you finally make that first official step. This is what I'm doing. And you're good. Yeah. Just just to reiterate that, like just some of the, the kids that I've coached over the years or I've had uh, throughout some of the different ministries I've been a part of is, you know, time will come in their life and uh, they'll come big news. I believe God is calling me to this. Mm-hmm. And I don't tell them anything. No. I just, I'm praying for you. Praying for you. It's like I came for advice. I'm giving you the best advice I can give you. Listen, I'm praying for you. I'm yeah. not going to tell you one way no. or the other. That, that's between, that's you, between and you and God. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's that same thing with salvation, man. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You land a struggle, land a struggle, land a struggle, and then she finally did in peace. Yeah. You know, man, when I've heard you say it, um, I've heard you say it before, like to the youth group or to to your, you know, whoever yeah. you're preaching for is. In thirty seconds, I yeah. can convince you that you were either saved or not saved. Yeah. yeah. It's not on me. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's there. You know, and it's, you standing there, whether somebody's standing in a pew, whether you listen to this podcast, whether you listen to a sermon or a song or whatever it is, and, and all that thing you're on you and all that worry and all that, that one step of commitment that you make towards God and peace is there. It's, it's literally that one step away. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one man said this. It was a, a van, he was a evangelist for years. He's out of Tennessee. And um, he was actually at church drunk that night. He was somebody got him to come to church, and he was drunk. So he was sitting up there in the balcony, and he said he was there. And he said then God got so much conviction in his life, and he realized he was lost. And he said I had to get down the stairs to the side, down that stairwell, all the way down there before I got to the altar. He said I wasn't saved when I got to that altar. He said I was saved when my right leg cleared the pew. He said, "That's when I." He said, "I had stepped out. God was calling me, and I was going." Mm-hmm. And he said, "I was sober and I had <coughs> peace in that moment, right there." Right. You know, it was a miracle that he was sober in that moment, but it was so much more of a miracle that he had peace. He had been running and running from God, and somebody finally got him to go to church that night, and he heard a message. And you don't have to be at church, but it's that same thing. It's that one step. If you're lost today and you take that one step, peace is one step away. Salvation is one step away. If you're struggling with a 
call to ministry. Peace in it is one step away. If you're struggling with a call to adopt or whatever God's leading you and your family to or you in your life to, it's one step away. You know, it's it's right there, but that one step can seem so far. Yeah. You know, it can seem like a million miles away. Yeah. At because times. there's going to be pride and everything. Else yeah, there's so much that's got to be. But I think it's in Hebrews. It says that uh, if you'll draw near to Him. He'll draw near to He'll you. Draw near to you. you know, I, I've said that before, and I said it several times. That verse is so plainly. I may feel like I can only take this little tiny little step because I'm so small. Mm-hmm. But think about how big God's step is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How he'll far step, he's coming. The universe how, how far is he stepping to get to you if you're taking that tiny little step mm-hmm. towards him? He'll come to you. Yeah, you know, that I, verse is so true because that night that I was just struggling so bad, just am I saved? Am I lost? What is up? Lord, help me. You know, just... I really started seeking him. You know, I just got my Bible and opened it. And the verse I read while I go, Matthew, that's just what I opened to. I mean, that was God. That was not coincidence. I was just like, Lord, you've got to show me. And I just opened it up. I was just going to read. And there it was. And I was like, I mean, I've read that verse, what, a million times in my whole life. But God spoke and he drew near to me and he showed me, you know, that I was lost. And even though I still battled that for a night or two more, still he used that to, you know, to show me grace and to bring yeah. salvation. You know that draw me. that drawing near to God, I always think about the prodigal son. He was starving. <laughs> you know, he's out there in a hog pen and the hogs are eating better than he is. So you know he's physically weak. Mm-hmm. He's wore out. He's wasted everything. He's lived his life down. He's broken mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. He wasn't just moving at top speed back home. He was worried about how things were going to be at home. He was worried about how the situation was going to be. But how did the father come to him? Running. Met him. Yeah. Running mm-hmm. with his arms wide open. Yeah. That, that can, weakness, I almost see him. Like when he finally yeah. got home, he was almost staggered. Yeah. I mean, that's how I see him in my mind that he's coming up the road, head down, you know, just laboring for breath, sweating, broken, like I'm not even going to make it. And then he looks up and sees somebody running at him. And that's how it is with God. That's how it is. That's how it is with these kids in adoption, man. I mean, you start talking about that they're going to look back in their life and realize, I was in a spot where there was nobody to take care of me. Mm -hmm. I was in a spot where nobody could change my situation, and somebody stepped in. Same, like we started out with this whole thing. It's the same thing God with us with salvation. Same thing as that prodigal son. He was in a spot he couldn't help himself. All he could do was take a step towards his father. Mm-hmm. All we can do as Christians is draw nigh to God. All somebody that's less than this, that's lost can do is step towards God, and God will be right there. Yes. You know, whatever that looks like. Yeah. It could be as simple as just opening that Bible up yeah. for the first time. Yeah, it can be anything. It could God be that uses it. it could be that first time back to church since you was a kid. Yeah. It could be just calling a friend you know who yeah. is. Whatever that looks like. Yeah. Well, cool guys. Yeah. Anything else to add or subtract? Man, I'm good. I just appreciate it. I'm I enjoy this. I'm looking forward to getting in some more on this. It's gonna be good. Yeah, man, the uh the more I do it, the uh the more worthwhile oh, I'm yeah. finding it to be. Yeah. Um just talk about running. This has been on my heart to do for months. Yeah. And uh, thank God for an ACL injury. Yeah. That's how I was. I was. <laughs> I've been telling this story a lot. Is uh, I was up to a point to where it felt like I was running from God, and He said, "Okay, I'll just make it to where you can't run." <laughs> yeah. I just slow you down a little. Yeah. Bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was during that time I was just laid up in the bed, and it's like, okay. Okay, I'm done. Yeah. I'm ready. What are, you, yeah. what, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Just tell me what to do, we'll do it. Yeah. Man, it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. I know you got some good folks lined up, some good topics coming up, so it's going to be yeah, good. Man. But um, 
appreciate y'all coming on. It's uh, good to sit down and have fellowship with y'all. Yes, sir. Missed y'all and definitely love y'all. Yes, sir. Appreciate it's it. It's always man. good to be with you. Yes, sir. You have